0: So we've been taking a journey through Genesis and we're looking at the Gospel in Genesis. Looking at the types and the shadows, the pictures that God is painting with all of these characters to reveal Christ to us. So we've um, been looking at the life of Jacob. And Jacob is an interesting character. Uh, Jacob is often maligned uh, and, and rightly so. But also we have to realize that Jacob is no worse than any one of us. And the question's not really why did God hate Esau, but why did God love Jacob? Uh, because we are all born in sin. We're all born separated from God. The Bible says we are God's hostile enemies. And while we were his hostile enemies, Christ died for us. And so we see this picture painted of Jacob, who uh, is not the rightful heir, but Rebecca, as a type of Christ, prepares Jacob, clothing him with the clothes of another, having the fragrance of another, coming to his father in the identity of another and receiving the blessing that he does not naturally deserve, but has been uniquely qualified to receive because he was prepared to come in the identity of someone other than himself this is exactly how we come to christ we come clothed not in our own righteousness but in the righteousness of another we come not in our own fragrance of death and sin but in the fragrance of life and righteousness jesus is called the rose of sharon we come in the fragrance of jesus and we come in the identity of another to the father. And we receive from the father what we do not rightly deserve, but we have been uniquely qualified and prepared to receive this blessing. And this is the picture that God wants us to see as we read the scripture. We want, he wants us to see Christ in all of these things. And so we get to Genesis 28 and we see that Jacob has received the blessing from isaac and now in genesis 28 isaac calls jacob to himself and let's uh pick up the story there and let's begin reading in genesis chapter 28 i don't know that i'll read the whole chapter i'm just going to read until i feel like not reading anymore okay genesis 28:1 then isaac called jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's brother, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham. To you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paden Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And then it goes on, and it tells us that Esau sees Isaac uh, get blessed by Jacob. Jacob sending him away. Now remember, Isaac, I'm sorry, Esau, Esau sees Jacob receive this blessing. And remember, Esau did not marry uh, the women of his father's family. Esau married the daughters of the Canaanites. And at the end of the last chapter, remember, Rebekah tells Isaac, she said, I am weary of of, I, of Esau's wives. If Jacob marries the daughters of the Canaanites, she's like, I don't even want to live anymore. And that's when Jacob calls Isaac and says, go and find a wife. I mean, I'm so sorry. I get these names mixed up. My wife's like, gosh. Um, <laughs> Isaac calls Jacob and sends Jacob to get a wife from his father's land. And his father's family. And Esau sees this and he tries to compensate. And he goes to the daughters of Ishmael and he marries Ishmaelites. It didn't work. It didn't help. Because who was Ishmael? Ishmael was a product of the works of the flesh. Ishmael was not the son of promise. And so what we see here is that God is working through the children of promise the genealogy of jesus goes and it shows us all the way back to adam who the children of promise are in jesus the promised seed he's the seed prophesied in genesis 3:15 remember he's the one ultimately who is going to come from abraham from isaac and from jacob he is the seed of promise and so jacob goes not to the daughters of the Canaanite, not to the curse line, but he goes back to his father's land, and he takes a wife for himself, a wife that will ultimately play a part in bringing forth the promised seed of Christ. And so in Genesis 28, one of the themes that we see here is this round-trip journey. So Isaac calls Jacob, and he says, go, go. To the land that I came from and get a wife and return to me. This is not a one way trip, this is a round trip journey. And so, in these first five verses, we see the father sending the son to get a wife. Jacob leaves his own land and goes into a hostile land. So when you read this story, when you go all the way through these next chapters of Genesis, you're going to see that it wasn't as easy as it was, remember, when Abraham sent his servant to fetch a wife for his son Isaac. And the servant goes and he sees, you know, he sees uh, Rebekah at the well and he goes to Rebecca's house and it's pretty cut and dried and pretty simple. Now Jacob is going and he's going to the house of Laban. Laban, remember, was the guy that was trying to get his sister Rachel, I mean, Rebecca, to stay. And the servant says, No, either she comes now or the deal is off. And so Rebecca went back and married Isaac. Now, Jacob is going to this brother, it's his uncle. He's going to his uncle, Laban's, and Laban makes this not quite as easy for Jacob because Jacob ends up staying there for 20 years. So Isaac sends him away, and it's 20 years later before Jacob actually returns back to his father's land. And so here we see this round-trip journey of Jacob leaving his own land, going to a hostile land to get a bride... To return to his father. What is this picture for us? This picture is Christ, the Son of God, sent into a hostile land to take a bride and to return to his father. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus left his father's land, he left heaven, came to a hostile land, and took a bride for himself and returned to his father. Christ came to take a bride. Christ came for you. He came for his beloved. He came for his bride. And who is his bride? It's a people. This is what the Bible and when we get to the New Testament The bride of Christ is called the body of Christ. It's called the family of God. They're called the children of God. We're called brothers and sisters. We're called a city descending from heaven in Revelation. The holy Jerusalem, who is the bride of the Lamb, come and I will show you the bride of the Lamb. Behold, I saw a city descending out of heaven. This is the church. This is the people of God. This is who Christ left his father's land to come and to take for himself. And to return to his father. So we see this round trip journey of the son Jacob. Which is a picture a type in a shadow of the round trip journey. It ultimately speaks of which is Christ who came from heaven to take for himself a bride. And so Jacob goes and he's on his way to the land. And it says let's pick the story up in verse 11. Genesis 28:11 So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down at that place to sleep Then he dreamed and behold a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven and there were there were the angels of God descending and ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you, And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid And said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head. He set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. That is house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth. To you. So, we see Jacob leaving. He leaves, really, he leaves with nothing when he leaves the house of his father. He left everything behind. He received the blessing of the firstborn. He received the birthright that was due, really, to Esau. Jacob received it. Yet, he left all of that. He left everything To go to this hostile land to fetch for himself, to take for himself a bride. It's a beautiful picture of Christ who laid down the glory of his father's house, the glory of his father's land, his inheritance, and came and humbled himself, put on human flesh, came with nothing. But yet, when it was all said and done, had received everything. This is the picture we see with Jacob. But what I want to focus on in this last part of the chapter here is an open heaven. You see, Jacob comes to this place and Jacob lays down. He goes to sleep and it says that he has a dream. And in this dream, he sees a ladder that was set up on the earth and descending, ascending and descending upon this ladder were the angels of God. Now let's hold your place there. let's turn over to john chapter one John's Gospel chapter one and uh let's look at look let me just read i'll read you the reference, but let's read it in context. let's begin in verse uh, forty six john one forty six And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip comes to Nathanael and says, Hey, we found the Messiah. Come. Uh, He's from Nazareth. And Nathanael says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, you I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, verse 51, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's a very similar picture Jesus paints with his words of what Jacob saw in his dream of a ladder set up upon the earth and the angels of God ascending and descending upon this ladder. Jesus said, you will see greater things, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What does this tell us? What did that ladder in Genesis picture for us? What, what does a ladder do? How many of you guys have ever put a ladder up to get up in your attic? Or you've got one of those pull-down ladders, you know, and we got one back in my office. You pull the ladder down, you walk up through the hole in the ceiling, and, and it gives you access uh, to a place you wouldn't normally have access to if you didn't have a ladder. And so we see this picture, Christ is the ladder and the reason for an open heaven. And in John one fifty one, Christ tells Nathanael, most assuredly I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now remember, Nathanael is an Israelite in which there is no deceit, Jesus says. So this Israelite, Nathaniel, who's been looking for the Messiah, is living in a time that's been known as the time of silence. There's been 400 years of absolute silence from heaven. The last word that came from God was the prophet Malachi. And after Malachi prophesied, his prophecy for 400 years there was no prophetic voice there was nothing the heavens were iron the heavens were brass and the Jews called this the time of silence and here is nathaniel who who philip says come and see the messiah he's from nazareth and, and nathaniel says what possibly good can come from nazareth yet nathaniel comes and jesus says I saw you under the fig tree, and Nathanael says, you must be the son of God. Why? Because I said that I saw you under the fig tree? That's nothing. You will see heaven open, and you will see ascending and descending upon the son of man, the angels of God. There is no doubt, there should be no doubt in our mind, that when Jesus said those words to Nathanael, he was taken right back to Jacob's, Dream and Jacob's vision of a ladder reaching up into heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon this ladder. This is the house of God, Jacob said. This is the gate of heaven. This is the portal that leads us to a place that we had no access to, that we had absolutely no hope and no possibility of reaching or ever entering into. And then God tells Jacob after this dream, he says, I am with you and I will keep you and bring you back to the land. This is the journey of the son from and back to his father's land. This is the opening of heaven. Listen. Not for us. This is the opening of heaven for the sun. Who is heaven opened for? Heaven was open for Jacob. Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending. The heavens were not open for us. The heavens were open for the sun. Do we benefit from an open heaven? We absolutely benefit from an open heaven. But heaven wasn't open for you and me. Heaven was open for the Son of God. The heavens open. Think about this. The heavens open, and the Son of God descended into the womb of the virgin and was born in a manger. We're right here on the cusp of celebrating Christmas. This is the big event that's on the horizon here. As soon as Thanksgiving's over, I mean, it's already started, right? I mean, the Christmas sales and the Christmas talk, it's, it's already happening. The heavens were open so that the Son of God could come and enter into that womb, be born in a manger, be born of a virgin, walk this earth for 33 years, walk a path to the cross and die, become a curse for us, be buried for us, be raised and a sin to the Father. So that he could take a bride for himself. So the heavens opened. Jacob said this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Christ is the temple. That was raised up in John's gospel. Jesus comes out of the temple and he says see these stones. Not one will be left upon another. Yet in three days. I'll raise them up again. They said it took over 50 years to build this temple. You're crazy. And John tells us they did not understand what Jesus spoke of because he spoke spiritually about his own body. Listen, if you're looking for a third temple, stop looking. It's already been raised up. His name is Jesus. And Jesus said, I am that temple that will be raised up. He's been raised up. Jesus is the temple raised up. He is the ladder. He is the gate. He is the door. He is the way we access an open heaven. And then verse 22. When Jacob is is amazed. He's in wonder of all of this. And Jacob says I'm going to call this place Bethel, the house of God, he made a vow and he says, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, because he left with nothing, so that I come back to my father's house in peace from the Lord, th- then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house and of All that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now we're talking about an open heaven. Hold your your place there in Genesis. And let's turn over to the book of Malachi. The last prophetic book written before God sealed up the heavens until he opened them again and sent his son to be born of that virgin. Actually, technically, I need to correct myself. Technically, he opened heaven when he sent John the Baptist. So, technically, when he miraculously healed the barren womb of Elizabeth and called John to be birthed in that womb, John, who was the forerunner, the one who would come and prepare a way, John was the last Old Testament prophetic Voice before the coming of the Messiah. God actually broke the 400 years of silence by sending Elijah, or if you will, John the Baptist, who prepared the coming of Jesus. Now, we're not going to do a study on the book of Malachi, but actually we could, because all of that's in the book of Malachi. That's what the book of Malachi is about. And so, but but what I want to draw your attention to is... Malachi chapter 3, in relation to Genesis twenty-eight twenty-two, where Jacob says, surely I will give you a tenth of, of everything. The tithe belongs to God, but it is to be freely given as an act of worship, giving witness to God as Lord over all. Let's, let's begin reading in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Malachi 3, verse 1 is talking about um, John the Baptist. Behold, I will send the mes- my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That's John preparing the way of the Lord. But before I digress too far, let's go to verse 6. Malachi 3, 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Listen, if you think that grace started in the New Testament, you are very, very mistaken. It's always been about grace. It's always been by grace through faith. Always, always, always. The Old Testament is not the the book about a mean old God up in heaven who's killing everybody because he doesn't like what they do. And the New Testament is about some loving God who lets anything and everything go. No, it's the same God, both old and new. It's the same God from Genesis to Revelation. It has always been by grace through faith, always. And this is what God is telling Jacob or telling Israel. Listen, the only reason you guys are not totally consumed is because I am God who does not change. You weren't consumed in the beginning because of grace because Adam should have rightly been consumed toast right at the beginning Israel should have been toast in the wilderness and everywhere else along the way but because I am the same God yesterday today and forever you are not consumed O sons of Jacob yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances have not and have not kept them Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So God gives, you notice there in Malachi, God gives an invitation to try me now. He says, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. He gives an invitation to try him. Jacob says, if you will, clothe me. Watch over me. Protect me. You will be my God, and I will give you a tenth, a tithe of everything. I want you to understand this is not Jacob bargaining with God. This is not Jacob threatening God. This is not Jacob manipulating God. This is Jacob making a statement of faith. This is Jacob making a statement in faith of worship. This is who this God is. This is what I will do to signify the reality of who you are. This is what I will do as an act of worship. And we don't have time today, but when we get to the latter chapters, when we see Jacob return back to the land after 20 years, we see exactly what Jacob's attitude is His humility and his understanding that he has what he has. He has come from where he's come from. He has returned because of the Lord and only because of the Lord. God gives an invitation declaring, try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. We can rob God or we can trust God and worship him, not only with our lips, but with our lives. God does not want just our lip service. He wants our life. Christ has opened the heavens and poured out such blessing that there is not room enough to receive it. He has given us himself. Our giving to him is an expression. It's a witness in the natural of the spiritual reality and blessing that he has freely given to us in Christ. Giving is a natural act of spiritual worship that indicates the location of our heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. Your giving week in and week out is a natural expression of your spiritual worship. It indicates the location of your heart. And if you don't know where your heart is, I can promise you God does. And He wants to reveal to us where our hearts are. Because He wants our hearts to be in the right place. Why does God want our heart to be in the right place? Because where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. In other words, God wants our treasure. To be in the right place. What or who do you treasure above anything and everyone else? Is it Christ? That's an important question that each one of us must answer. So in Christ we have come to an open heaven. Let me read you a couple of Old Testament scriptures. Now they're not real pleasant to hear. They're pretty I'm not even gonna read all of it to you. I'm not even gonna read the bad parts to you. I'm just gonna read some of it to you. A lot of people say, Well, you know, Pastor Jeff, that's old testament, that's the law, it's all been done away with, God burned that up and did away with it. Really? I don't think so. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish law, I came to fulfill the law. Let's begin in Leviticus twenty six, eighteen and nineteen. And after this, now I'm not going to read the before this. The after, what's before the after this is pretty, pretty horrid. I mean, God just lays it out there in no uncertain terms. If you don't keep my commandments, if you don't walk in my statues, these horrible things are going to happen to you. That's what he told his children. And guess what happened? All those things happened to them. God didn't lie to them. God wasn't wasn't giving them empty threats. It really happened to them. And after this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. I want to draw attention to this idea of a closed heaven. God says, if you don't obey me, if you don't worship me, if you don't follow my statues, I'm going to close heaven. And that's exactly what God did. Okay? Okay? Deuteronomy 28. Let's look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And he lists a bunch of curses that will come upon you and overtake you. I'll spare you, okay? And get to verse 23 which is I want to draw your attention to, and besides all the curses that will come upon you and overtake you, besides all of that, and your heavens, which, you are, which are over your head, shall be bronze, and the earth, which is under you, shall be iron. Guess what happens when the heavens above you become bronze, and you start crying out to God, Guess where your prayers are going? Guess what they're bouncing off of? They're bouncing off of bronze. It's not a good place to be. It's really not. But God gives us this picture of hope. Right in the very beginning of his scripture. Right here in Genesis 28. He gives us this picture of hope. Here is this supplanter. Here is this deceiver. We want to think Jacob is so horrible, but Jacob's no more worse than any one of us are. He's no more worse than Esau. And we're no no better than Esau. We're, We're no better than Jacob. So here we see in Genesis 28, God gives us this picture of grace, this picture of hope, that here is this guy who's literally running for his life to go find a wife. He's, he's going to his uncle's house. He has no idea what's, he's, what's waiting for him. He has no idea that he's going to spend 20 years a slave to his uncle. He's tired. It's dark. He can't go any farther. He lays down. He has a dream. He sees a ladder and he sees angels going up and down upon this ladder. He wakes up and he says, oh my God. He said, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He saw an open heaven. And God stands above the ladder and it says, I will bless you with the blessing of Abraham. I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea. And in your descendants, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see the picture of grace and hope? Not just for Jacob. But God stands at the top of this ladder and Jacob is in his dream seeing heaven open. The heavens aren't iron. The heavens have been open to him and God says, I will not only bless you, but I will bless all the families of the earth through your seed. What seed? Christ. Christ is the seed that would bless all the families of the earth. Christ is the seed that has blessed you and me. Christ is the reason we're here today having this conversation. Christ is the reason that we're talking about an open heaven instead of a closed heaven of bronze because the heavens weren't open for you and me. The heavens were open for the son of God because the son of God came to take for himself a wife, a bride, a body, a church, a temple, a city, Glorious beyond imagination, glorious beyond measure. It speaks of you and me. It speaks of all who by grace will trust in Him. So the open heaven Jacob experienced was God, was by God's grace. Jacob was a type of Christ that walked under an open heaven. Until Christ came, the heavens were closed to all but those prophets, kings, and priests who walked in a measure of grace that only spoke of a coming grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? They only saw in part. They only knew in part. They only spoke of what they could discern by shadow and type pictures but they spoke of a substance that was coming a substance who is Christ they spoke of a grace that was coming which was manifest in one man Jesus Christ And this coming grace, who is Christ, ushered in a new creation, a creation that no longer has a closed heaven, but a new creation with an open heaven that allows us to come into his presence to the very throne of grace with boldness and with confidence by the blood of Jesus, the eternal Lamb of God. So think about this, Luke 2. Luke 1 and 2 tell the story of heaven open when Elizabeth's womb was filled and John the Baptist was birthed and Jesus was put into the womb of Mary and he was born in Bethlehem laid in a manger and the angels broke forth in the heavens and declared the glory of God and declared peace on earth and goodwill. To men, that's an open heaven. Luke three twenty-two says, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well. Pleased At the baptism of Jesus, the heavens open and the dove comes down as a natural sign of the spiritual reality that this is the son of God. This is God incarnate. This is God made flesh and dwelling among us. The heavens have opened. They are not brass any longer, but we live now in Christ under an open heaven. Acts 9, here is the Apostle Paul riding to Damascus to kill Christians, to imprison Christians, to stamp out this cult of people who believe in this man, Jesus. And the heavens open, and a light shines forth, and a voice comes forth, and he's knocked off of his donkey, and he's laying on the road. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. In Hebrews 9, 10, 19 and 20, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, When Jesus hung on the cross on that Passover day at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, he gave up his spirit. At that very moment, there was a lamb slaughtered in the temple. And at the very moment that lamb was slaughtered in the temple upon the altar, at that very same moment, Jesus gave up his spirit. All three things happened simultaneously. Jesus dies, the lamb is slaughtered, and the veil in the temple is rent, the Bible says, from top to bottom, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What did that signify? It signified that there was no longer a closed heaven. It signified that God had through the tearing of his son's flesh had opened a way for us to come and have access to a place that we never had access to before. The veil was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus cried on the cross, signifying that the way had been opened to all men, Jew and Gentile alike, to the mercy seat, the very mercy seat of God. you realize that in that temple when Jesus died, there was no mercy seat? The Ark of the Covenant was long gone. It had not existed in the temple since the Babylonian times. It was just a myth. And you know why that Ark of the Covenant wasn't there? I believe God took it out of the temple and never restored it to the temple. Why? Because it was just a shadow because he was sending the true ark, which was Jesus. He was sending the true mercy seat, which is Jesus. And It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats and it wasn't the, 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 the ministry of an earthly man going behind a veil. It was the blood of the Son of God, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. It was the work of our great high priest who went Beyond the veil that that natural veil only spoke of. He went beyond the veil that no man could transgress. And he opened for us a way. In Christ, listen church, in Christ we now live under an open heaven. Having been joined to the one and only law keeper who walks in the blessing of God. Having overcome the curse. The curse of Leviticus and Genesis, it's not that God winks at it and now it doesn't have any, doesn't mean anything. It absolutely means something. It means that you and I can't do that. We're going to be cursed if we try to keep that law. And God sent forth the only one who would ever be able to walk in that kind of sinless holiness. And he kept perfectly that law he overcame the curse he has ascended to the father and now we are joined to him through the new birth we become a new creation and in that new creation we live under an open heaven by the grace of god by the blood of the son of god and outside of christ the heavens remain closed but in christ we live in the light and the grace of a new creation with open heavens and those heavens have been open to all who trust in him for the sake of his glory. They're not open for us. They're open for him. But they're open to us as we come to find our life in him. All that from a dream. Jacob had a dream. Just that one dream gives us a glimpse, it paints a picture of the greatest hope, the greatest grace that we can ever have. That's why I can honestly tell you no matter what your situation or circumstance is, you are never without hope because God has ordained a hope that transcends everything of this created order because our hope is in Christ. So we come to Genesis 29. And I really want to talk to you about it, but I'm not going to. So, I'm going to resist the temptation to go into Genesis 29 and talk to you about the bride that the son went to to get. Jacob's on his way. He's on a journey to get a bride. He has no idea what's waiting for him. He has no idea who he's going to meet. He has no idea who this bride is going to be. He just knows where he's going. And we're going to look at this bride. We're going to look at the bride next week. And we're going to see something. How God, have you ever noticed in the Bible how God is, is repetitious? He's redundant. There is redundancy and repetition built into the scripture. It's it's that it's that way on purpose. There are recurring themes throughout the scripture. You'll see them throughout these time periods that scripture spans vast periods of time. So from the from the time of creation to the time of of Jesus. At a minimum, let's just say we take the Bible literally, at a minimum, we're spanning 4,000 years. From the time of creation to the time of Jesus. And over those 4,000 years, that scripture has been written. From the Garden of Eden, to the children of Israel in the wilderness, to King David and the kingdom, to the prophets, to captivity, and back, and captive again, and All of these things, we see reoccurring themes. God has placed them throughout the scripture. And he's done that on purpose. He's done that so that we don't miss what he's trying to show us, what he's trying to reveal to us. And what is it that he is trying to show us? And what is it that he wants to reveal to us? Christ. Christ. Amen? Let's all stand. So I want I to challenge you to see the promise and to know the promise that we have in Christ this is, this is what I want you to see this is what I'm praying that we see that God, you can't see it naturally I know you read the Bible with natural eyes but when you read the story of Jacob and his dream about a ladder it can just be some weird dream he had or it can be a picture of Christ You can read the story of Jacob going to his father Isaac and think he's this horrible deceiver. Or you can see a picture of how Christ prepares us to come to receive from the father what we don't deserve. Clothed and identified in him and not in ourselves. The spirit of God has to reveal Christ to you. But when you read the Bible, if you will. Pray and ask the Spirit of God and say, God, would you reveal Jesus to me when I read the Bible? God, would you open the eyes of my understanding? Would you open the eyes of my heart? Would you open my ears? Give me eyes to see and ears to hear that I would see Christ, that I would know Christ. Because when I see Christ and as I come to know Christ, I am being conformed to Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The promise of God to Jacob to Christ and to all in Christ is this behold I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you over and over throughout the scripture the Bible says fear not for I am with you says the Lord fear not do not fear God is with you to keep you wherever you go And will not leave you or forsake you. That is his promise. That's his promise to his bride. That's his promise to his son. That's his promise to his children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great and precious promises that you give to us in Christ. You don't promise that we'll live a life free of hardship or tribulation lord in fact you promised that in this life in this world we would have tribulation but lord in the midst of our tribulation that's working for us a more eternal weight of glory you've promised to never leave us to never forsake us that wherever we go you would be with us father give us eyes to see and ears to hear reveal to us by your spirit the great and precious promise we have in christ compel us God to go to go out and to make known to all Lord especially those that are in our circle of influence our family and our friends and those that we interact with on a daily basis compel us to go out and make known the hope we have in Christ alone God make us bold For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.